Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Julie Dante Douglas. <laughs> that's your that's your, your nickname today? Yeah. Yeah. Does that make me Robert Virgil Lamb? Yes. Yeah. I dig that. Okay. I dig that. And, uh, you know, we're talking about hell, all hell. Yep. We just did a whole episode, which I think is going to be like an hour long, <laughs> about the, the problem of hell and about just our belief in hell and where it comes from, why it's problematic, and what some of the, uh, what a couple of studies say about how it may affect the way we go about our daily lives. And so, in this episode, we're taking uh, on the science of hell, where we're going to look at some scientific explorations about the structure of hell, how mm-hmm. it works, how big it is. Um, and a lot of this deals with, with Dante, but... Uh, but but some of it gets a little uh, Miltonian as well. It does. And uh, we're covering this because it's sort of the ultimate magical thinking. We've talked about magical thinking before, uh, about ascribing these uh, supernatural properties to this construct. All right. And uh, here we have an extension of our mind mm-hmm. uh, that's troubled by being physically tethered to this body. This is how this is my read of hell, by the way. OK. Uh, so we're unable to escape our physical selves, or even our minds. And in that, there's there's a certain amount of pain to be processed, physical pain and mental pain. And to me, this uh, the, the repository for all of this is hell. It's the pit. And we have put so much effort into hell that we've actually mapped it out, or rather those of us who came before us, like Dante, have mapped it out just so that we can place that angst and that pain in very specific pockets. Yes. Well, I think that's a pretty good read on it, yeah. And, and certainly we've put a lot of effort into mapping it out, creating depictions of it. And a lot of it stems from the fact that if you're an artist or if you're a writer, you're a poet, um, the idea of hell is just a rich territory to play around in. And if you're living in a time when, say, the, the Catholic Church holds sway over pretty much everything, it's pretty much it's one of the few acceptable ways to, say, draw a grotesque monster making love to a woman. You know, that, that kind of stuff. Uh, in the same way that, uh, that the, the classics allowed uh, painters to, uh, to paint, uh, the, you know, the, the nude human body. And uh, if it's incorporated into the right um, mythical or uh, religious context, then it's okay. So before we get into um, all these explorations, I want to read just a quick bit from Chris Wright's Measuring Hell, um, which appeared in the Boston Globe, um, which he was talking about a, a publication that came out dealing with Galileo's calculations about uh, Dante's Inferno, which we'll discuss shortly. Uh, but, but this particular quote, I think, sums up a lot of, of why we're talking about it. He says, debating the mechanics of the Inferno might sound like intellectual horseplay. The 16th century equivalent of MIT cafeteria debates about the viability of Star Trek teleporters. But there was more to the lectures than this. The insights Galileo gleaned from analyzing Dante's measurements, in fact, anticipated a vital principle of structural engineering. By asserting that you cannot create a giant Lucifer by supersizing the model of a man, that increasing an object's magnitude would create a whole new set of structural and material imperatives, Galileo was paving the way for the construction of everything from ocean liners to skyscrapers to Macy's parade floats. Um, and he, he goes on in that article to even compare it to our our attempts to understand many other things in the universe that, that uh, are based in science, 
but we cannot see. You're trying to understand how this universe works. And so you're applying these thought experiments to aspects of it. Which is pretty cool because it's not just a repository for our fears. It's a thought experiment, yeah. right? It's a way for us to try to figure out our physical universe. And a lot of these uh, these studies, they do have a lot in common with some of these fun uh, papers that you see. Uh, there's one that came out recently dealing with the created world of George R. R. Martin's Westeros in the uh, Game of Thrones uh, uh, series and in, uh, in, in, in books. And, uh, and they were trying to figure out, well, how would the celestial mechanics of this planet work to provide it with this weird seasonal um, cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, and you, we've, we've seen some other papers, uh, there's a number of them that dealt with the Harry Potter universe, where they're like, well, how would the genetics of muggles and wizards right. work? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fascinating because it allows people to take their science and sort of play around with it, put it into this, this box and, uh, and see what comes out of it. I can't help but think that if Galileo's studies came out today that he would have been awarded a Nobel Prize. Yes, which is kind of great. Yeah, we yeah. talked about that. Nobel Prize, Nobel is, a good Prize thing. is wonderful because it's not m- merely, in some cases, it's a little mocking. But, but in most of the time, it's not about saying, "Look at this idiot doing this study." It's like this is awesome. This person is is taking the science, applying it to some uh, some little corner of uh, of our understanding, and uh, and creating something useful out of it, or you know, marginally useful, but still amazing. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the troublemaker who started this all, Dante, and his publication of the Divine Comedy in 1314. Yes, Dante Allegari, uh, born 1265 in Florence, Italy, died September 14, 1321 in Ravenna, Italy. And that's pretty key because, of course, Dante loved Florence, and uh, yes. this was his hometown, and he eventually was uh, not allowed to return to it. And it was uh, it was a, a bitter uh Bitter fact for him, and, uh, and it factors into a, a lot of his writings. But uh, Dante was orphaned at a young age, uh, but he grew off with uh, with well-off uh, relatives in Florence, and he was well-educated in the classics and poetry, and uh, he went on to be a number of things in life. He was a businessman. He was a soldier. He was a politician. He was a philosophy professor, and, of course, most importantly, he was a writer, uh, and eventually, as I said, a writer in exile from his beloved Florence. And, of course, he was also extremely interested in the sciences, um, which, as we've discussed before, um, when we were talking about consciousness and philosophy, um, to be interested in the sciences was to be interested in philosophy. They mm-hmm. often went hand in hand. And, for instance, he, uh, he read the works of, of Aristotle, including Aristotle's uh, meteorology. So what do you do if you are exiled from your country and you have... Uh Maybe some very interesting ideas to explore. Well, you maybe map out this terrain, not so much of your country, but of your psyche. And this terrain would be in the form of hell, purgatory, and heaven. And this is the divine comedy. Now, comedy does not mean like funny, haha. Comedy means that it's going to end well. Yes. Which it does in paradise. Um, but the divine comedies. Inferno is the part that we really want to talk about because it's, it's part of this epic poem. And it, the detail is so florid, it's so imaginative, and it is so very complete. It reminded me of um, the author, and it, this is going to escape me, it's going to drive me nuts, so I'll follow up with this. But we talked about this in one of our mapping episodes. He spent 30 years creating this world, oh, yes. a language for it, he mapped it out in great detail, the topography. And in a way, Dante's Inferno reminds me of this, because there's so much detail packed into this that it really became, for people, the landscape of hell. And it became such a popular text because of this. Yeah, I mean, you, you really can't underscore this, the amazing level of world creation that's going on here. Um, uh, ex- exceeding, at least on par, if not exceeding, the work that you see in uh, 
in uh, George R. R. Martin's uh, uh, novels or in uh, Tolkien's novels, any kind of fantastic world that we we think of when someone has created wholesale. Uh, you know, Dante basically did this with with the Inferno. He he. He figured out exactly what the landscape would be. He figured out who the characters occupying it were. And, and to your point, it is as much, uh, Dante's psyche as place as it is, uh, an, an imagined version of hell. Because to, to read Inferno and, and to read the Divine Comedy as a whole is to get to know Dante's mind in and out. He doesn't hold back about his feelings about, about this person or that person, about this subject or, or this subject. And certainly along those lines, the Divine Comedy is a crash course in in medieval Italian culture. Everything from uh, the the body stories and a little bit of dirt on this guy to what the church was doing, who uh, you know, w- what kind of heresies were 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 taking place in the world and, and were still resonating. Um, he's at times pursuing sort of petty vendettas with individuals, right. and and other times he's championing individuals who uh, who who are, are, are kind of scandalized, but that he had a lot of, of empathy for. There are plenty of characters. There's, there are one or two characters in particular, the encounters in hell, that he kind of kicks them while they're down because they weren't, uh, they weren't friends with Dante, but there are others that he's really sympathetic for. Right. So you see some of the Florentine politicians who didn't square with him yep. end up in hell. See a number of popes are down there as well. Yep. yep. I mean, popes, they, they sin as well, right? In, yep. uh, in Dante's hell. Let's walk really quickly through the landscape of this so we can kind of get rooted in what is important here when we talk about the science of Dante's Inferno. All right. So you can find maps, uh, of this everywhere. I, I encourage anyone listening to this who's not driving a vehicle or whatnot to look up a map and I'll try and include one on the blog post that co- accompanies this. But uh, to imagine Dante's uh, hell, Dante's Inferno, imagine, first of all, the round earth, mm-hmm. the earth that is the center of the universe. OK. And uh, then Lucifer falls from above, falls from heaven uh, like a rogue asteroid. And his impact forms an enormous crater in the earth. All right. Crater. All, and, and, he, and the crater goes all the way down to the core of the earth. And that's where Lucifer stops. That's where he hits bottom, okay? Mm-hmm. And but there's this enormous crater up around him. Now, then you cover that crater with a vast vault, okay? So you have this vaulted crater in the earth. So now, the earth has been pushed up for this yes. entrance into hell. Yeah. And the and the some of the displaced earth too has come out on the bottom, the other side of the planet in the form of the mount of purgatory, but more on that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the very bottom of this this crater. Again, where Lucifer fell, he's down there still. His uh, his crotch is basically the center of the of the world. We're um, not kidding. Yeah, like, really. Yeah, this is the, the the very bottom of the crater. It's also the the center of the earth and kind of the bottom of the universe too. And so Lu- Lucifer is frozen in the lake of Cositis. Okay, and uh, also you'll find other traitors frozen here as well. Uh, this is also the well of giants where we find the titans of Greek lore. Uh, th- th- and it's also the ninth circle of hell. Overall, the domain of treacherous fraud. Okay, so let's we're walking out outward from the center and and emerging out of hell. Okay, so so we're, we're going up. Now. We're going up. Yeah, we're doing the reverse of Dante on this. Okay, so when we reach the edge of this domain, there's a high cliff that rises up to a region of ascending terraces, each composed of a pit, and this is the Malibolga, uh, the eighth circle of hell. And each bolja, each uh, each terrace that's kind of a, a pit unto its own. Uh, and, and, and ringing all the way around, okay? Uh, it's devoted, each one is devoted to a different form of simple fraud, such as there's one for panders and seducers, there's one for flatterers, one for sorcerers and astrologers, uh, uh, one for hypocrites. Uh, 
it worth exploring on your own, uh, believe me. And uh, then there are these demons who work there as well, the Malabraca, and they are in charge of tormenting uh, the individuals that are imprisoned there. Uh, one thing you mentioned uh, when you were uh, looking at this, uh, you you were a little surprised to find that, that Lucifer at the very bottom of this is just stuck, and he's there chewing on the three great traitors of all time, Mark, Antony, Brutus, and Judas. Right, because my Satan is uh, is tethered <laughs> to the version of, of Paradise Lost, yes. where he's just, he's ruling, and he's causing all sorts of mayhem. Yeah, he's a sympathetic character, too. Right. Yeah. But here, falling more in line with some of the traditional... Um, uh, accounts of hell previous, a lot of them would either, uh, because Dante was, again, wasn't the first person to describe a trip to to even a Christian hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the past, a lot of times they would just sort of reference Lucifer f- uh, or Satan from afar. They wouldn't really get into him as a character. And so here, L- Lucifer is very prominent, but he's not really a character. He's more just a force. He's the he's the, the force that formed this whole entire region. So he's really more asteroid than character. He's kind of in suspended animation. Yeah. Because he's yeah. You know, trapped in this ice. But I, what I do love is the imagery of his... of. Not his pelvic region, but his, his you know, his le- his hairy legs sticking up and them traveling across it. But we'll get into yeah, that more. Yeah, very bestial. Yeah. Okay, so um, so again, we 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 came out of that pit, out of uh, the out of Cassitis. Then we encountered the uh, the the uh, the, the, Mal- the Malabolgia with all these bulges and all these uh, little terraces where people were punished. Okay, and at the limits of this circle, again, we're moving out. We climb another steep cliff, and now we're at the seventh circle, the violent. And this is where the violence against others, self, or God. Uh, it's a fiery plane at first. We cross that, and then we pass through the wood of the suicides, where you have these individuals who are grown into trees. Uh, and then we pass over the boiling blood river of the Phlegathon, and uh, then there's another sheer cliff wall. Okay, and we climb that wall, then we're in the sixth circle. Okay, this is the domain of the heretics, and beyond that, we find the walls of Dis. Dis is this basically a medieval fortress walled fortress and it goes again it's a circle it's a ring wall it's all the way around so you can almost th- think of this wall existing to keep the horrors of inner hell from spilling out into the outer hell uh, not that it's actually doing that but just think of that in terms of a dividing point yeah, it's a fiery fortress um, as you said it's kind of where um, it's staff only works right yeah and uh, just in the terrain it's it's situated on a plateau here yeah so beyond the gates of Dis, we pass into an outer region of lighter sins. Uh, first, there's the angry, the fifth circle. And then there's another cliff wall. And then there's the fourth circle of Avrance. And then there's another wall. And then there's the third circle of gluttony. Then there's the second circle of lust, where the souls are whipped about in a vortex of winds. And then there's another cliff, and we find the first circle of limbo, where the noble thinkers of old reside. People who are basically... You know they're too good for hell, but they're stuck there on a technicality. So, so that's where they live on the outskirts of hell, basically. Uh, but then finally, we get to the we cross the the uh, the river um, Acheron, and we find the real, very outskirts of hell, and that's where the lukewarm are. Like you know the whole saying with Jesus, the lukewarm, you know the, the lukewarm warm, I spit you out. You know you're not mm-hmm. you know you're neither good nor bad. You really don't have a place in this, and that's where these guys are. They're not even bad enough to get into hell. But they're not good enough to be anywhere else. I guess you could say ne'er do wells or loafers. Yeah, right. They didn't really commit to any one thing, and so that's why they haven't done any wonderful deeds, and they're in heaven or anything terribly bad, and they're cast about into another level. Yeah, it's like yeah, they're just like yeah, we don't really have a place for you here. In fact, you can hang out outside the gates, I guess. Yeah. So as you guys can see, this is a vast hell. We're talking about nine circles featuring three rivers, one very cold lake. Uh, there's fire. There's ice. 
Uh, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, and just to get into the detail of it would probably take us hours, but we wanted to try to at least steep you guys at the beginning here. With a basic with, geography. Yeah, with the vestibule at the very top and the city of Dis in the middle, just fiery uh, compound. And then at the very bottom, Cositas, the lake. So there you go, basic geographic uh, summary of hell. It's very important because this is the uh, this is the world that these uh, scientific uh, inquiries and papers are going to deal with. Uh, so after the break, we're going to come back. We're going to look at uh, how the roof of hell works. We're going to look at how the weather in hell works, and we're going to uh, look at another uh, a couple of other scientific uh, concerns as well regarding the inferno. All right, let's get back to Galileo and, and what might have been his ignoble prize for yeah. his uh, studies about hell and uh, the measurements concerning them. Yeah, the year was 1588. Galileo was just 24 years old, hadn't really made a name for himself yet. Uh, he was a medical school dropout, and then he was invited to deliver, uh, to deliver a couple of lectures on Dante's uh, Divine Comedy. Um, and particularly about the structure of hell, how hell might work from a uh, an, an architectural, uh, physical standpoint. Now, just to put this in uh, the proper context, by this time, uh, Dante's Inferno or, or Divine Comedy would have been extremely well known and was the authority on hell, right? People yeah. took a lot of stock in this, is taking it really as a sort of gospel of what hell might look like. So for this upstart to come and deliver this speech about how the mathematics don't really hold up, yeah, I mean, at the very least, this was a highly regarded text. It was, uh, this is, like, you know, I mean, it stands today. It's still one of the, one of the greatest works of, uh, of Western civilization. And at, at the time, it was, it was still very well regarded. And so for anyone to come along and start knocking at the science of it and saying, well, you know, pointing out plot holes, essentially, you know, people could get a little up in arms over that. And to be weaving science with uh, little story here. Yeah. Now, in particular, the, the interesting thing he did um, in this talk was that uh, he, he dealt with a couple of existing theories. He was not the first person to do a little science thinking about uh, the structure of the Inferno. Uh, so what he did is he attacked one particular architectural model of the Inferno, Inferno one proposed by uh, Alessandro Valtullio of, of Luca. Uh, and whilst, while he supported a second model that was suggested by the Florentine architect Antonio Manetti. Now, of course, Florence, uh, uh, again, birthplace of Dante. Uh, uh, it's important to keep in mind. Well, it's kind of like the Bloods and the Crips here, too, yeah. because Luca is kind of like Bloods and, and Florence is the Crips, and they have a long-standing rivalry. Yeah, and Florence had just suffered a humiliating defeat by Luca in 1430, and uh, so this is on everybody's mind. So what does Galileo come in, comes in? He comes in and says, Velotulo's his argument, his structure for the Inferno, that would just collapse. Mm-hmm. The guy who's got it right is our boy from Florence. And so he hands uh, he hands Manetti the victory, and uh, and then Leaves, basically. Now, after the fact, he probably realized that both models would collapse because that is a huge vault that would have to be constructed to cover this enormous crater in the earth. Yeah, but he did. He took all the measurements that he could from yep. the text, uh, like the blasted canyons and the valleys and the rivers, and he did find out that they did not stand up to mathematical scrutiny. As you say, he did sort of discredit one of um, one of them, but then later on, he just quit talking about that whole thing. Yeah. Because he l- knew that both of them were wrong. And a lot of Galileo scholars, they kind of just... Dis- 
they, they just kind of cast this, this aside as just being sort of an early, kind of fun, but not really important aspect of Galileo's life. And really, it is more of a footnote to the great things that he would do later on. Yeah, but as Chris Wright had said, you know, it's his measurements of how inadvertently contributed to the foundation of theoretical physics. Exactly. All right, let's get on to the weather in hell. And I believe there used to, my, my wife was telling me there used to be a website where you could go and you could get the weather in hell, like whatever the weather is <laughs> going to be. And it's going to be like uh, like uh, flash floods of rancid yogurt and stuff. But uh, You know, even better would be David Lynch reading it. Yes. There's a website where you can also get the weather. Just the weather in the, the normal world. Right, read by David Lynch. Awesome. So Dante was, of course, uh, possessed uh, of an amazing curiosity. And, he, and as I mentioned earlier, he'd already certainly read Aristotle's work on meteorology. He found rich poetic use of not only the weather, because certainly everyone loves to throw a little weather into a poem or what whatnot, but he also understood the mechanics of weather, and he liked to play with that as well. So meteorological themes pop up throughout his work uh, in some of his earlier poems and certainly uh, in, in the Divine Comedy. He lacked our modern understanding of meteorology, uh, but uh, but the relationship between water and earth uh all of it factors into some of his earliest poems, and it's certainly a part of the Inferno. So, yeah, he would have taken this knowledge and then applied it to, to this mapping of hell in this descent into hell. And in the uh, the article, a great article, The Weather of Hell by Randy Cerveni, they actually take a look at specifically his descriptions of the weather and how it really weirdly lines up what with uh, would really happen if you had hell in those weather systems. And uh, again, we talked about sort of the basic landmarks here, but let me just describe them once more. You have uh, the vestibule, which is at the very top. You have the city of Dis mm-hmm. in the middle, and then you have Cassitis, the frozen lake at the very the bottom. Very bottom yeah. Okay, And I wanted to point this out again because Cassitis, the frozen lake, and the city of Dis and all of its fieriness, these are creating two major circulation cells in hell which the author points out is is um, creating various winds and so on and so forth that would really line up with what would happen. So uh, with that in mind, let's talk about circulation cells because yes. in, we're not going to go into weather in earnest, but hey. Right. In fact, I'm just going to briefly run through, some, uh, run through some stuff from our article, How Weather Works, that mm-hmm. I, I wrote. Okay, so. Two key properties that govern the atmosphere, air pressure dictated by gravity and air temperature dictated by solar and terrestrial radiation. But all these gases make up the uh, make up the atmosphere, and they don't just stay in one place. As you certainly observed, air moves. Vertical air currents result from changes in temperature and pressure. When air heats up, its molecules move uh, around more rapidly, pushing each other farther apart. The air becomes less dense and rises up through the troposphere toward thinner air. In doing so, however, it moves into colder regions and begins to cool, and it eventually cools down to a denser state and sinks back down. Okay, so when the air in one area heats up faster than the air in an adjoining area, the pressure differential generates wind. For example, uh, look uh, you can just look at a modern city. All that concrete and steel absorb, absorbs much more heat than the surrounding countryside. As such, the air in that city grows hotter during the day, becomes less dense, and rises in a vertical movement known as an updraft. Meanwhile, the cooler air in the countryside is under far more pressure and begins to flow into the city in the form of surface wind to fill the low-pressure area. Once it enters the hot city, however, uh, it heats up and begins to rise in an updraft. The air above it cools, but it can't settle back into place due to all the rising hot air underneath it. Instead, the cooling air simply pushes out to the side in the form of an upper air wind heading back to the countryside. And this wind cycle continues until nightfall sends everything into reverse as the city cools faster than the surrounding areas. So, to put this into the form of a simplified version of the Earth, 
Imagine an Earth that doesn't rotate and doesn't experience night. In this example, let's also pretend that the sun heats uh, the areas around the equator the most and the poles the least. This is a lot like uh, the city example, except the entire uh, equatorial belt would be the city in this scenario, and the land and sea cooling toward the poles would be the countryside. This would result in two massive bowl-shaped convection cells, uh, one for each hemisphere. Surface flows of cool air would sweep toward the equator, heating up along the way. Upon arrival, this air would ascend in an updraft, and then it would sweep back toward the poles in a cooling upper air wind. So there's a simplified version of how air moves in the real world. It's all about about pressure differentials and uh, air swooping into one area, rising and swooping back across over the top. Okay, yeah, so in a nutshell, you've got uh, the sun, which is heating the molecules, they rise because they, they've got high pressure now. Mm-hmm. And then you've got low pressure, more condensed air rushing in to displace it. We're talking about displaced air. And that's how right. winds are created. And that's how air moves about. And it creates this circular movement of air. Right. So you have a circulation cell. So you have certain areas that become this this closed loop. And when you look at Dante's Inferno, you have two circulation cells. And the first one starts, of course, at the very beginning. And it ends at the city of Dis. Okay, because you have, again, all of this weather happening, this heat from the city of Diz, which is informing things at, say, the first circle of hell. Yeah, and plus there's a boiling river next to it, so you have that adding to the possible heat as well. Um, so, yeah, hot air rises from the sixth circle, just beyond the, ro- the walls of Dis, and then it rolls back towards the gates of hell at a high altitude and then sinks back down at the first circle of hell, and then it sweeps across the surface till it blows uh, through Dis and back up the sixth circle again. So that's the uh, the upper uh, circulation cell as laid out by Cervini. But then he also um, uh, says that, our, that uh, Dante's text uh, lays out this lower circulation cell as well. Yeah, now that second loop stretches from the rising air of the, the fiery city of Dis as it redistributes air toward the central pit of hell, and it sinks into the bone-freezing cold um, of the, the Cossetus, or Cassitis, excuse me, lake. And then it makes its way back over Malabolga, which is the terraced area, and then back up to the city of Dis. So that's your second circulation cell. Yes. Now, I, and I'm gonna, I'll sketch out a little, um, version of what this looks like and include this on the website so you can, you can look at it. But it's, it's really incredible because Cervini makes a, a really strong case that you, if you look at the meteorological details that are in, in, included in Inferno, and there are a lot of them, because because uh, Dante's clearly a weather bug, uh, and it included all these details along with all these other just world building details of what uh, Inferno consisted of. But you you read the details, you read about the movements of air and the descriptions of what the, the the wind is doing and what the temperature is doing. It clearly spells out a working um, two cell uh, air circulation system. It does, and we could actually run through every single point or every single yeah. circle in hell, but we won't do that. But I did want to talk about um, a couple of them because it's really interesting. Uh, Cervani talks about in the vestibule in the first circle that these are dominated by high pressure with pretty calm winds. But when Virgil and Dante enter the second circle, they're met with a stormy blast of hell. And um, this is where Cervani says the strong pressure gradient causes winds as a function of the high and low pressure systems. And this is kind of a nice touch because when you go into the second circle, it's extremely windy. And this is where the lustful are punished and the winds are whipping around them, the winds of their desires. And then, of course, you go in the third circle and there's lots of showers and uh, that's, that's where it's really heavy and cold wind. And it's really stank there, by yeah. the way. Um, and then the third circle, of course, has gluttony and there's intense storms. 
Um, and again, this is a result of the strong surface heat blowing back from the city of Dis and the low pressure system that exists in the valley that descends before Dante and Virgil. So again, as you say, Dante had a really good idea of how weather systems were working, a good enough idea to try to imagine it in this place and set uh, the, the, the territory, the geography to the weather conditions. It's kind of beautiful. It is. I mean, it's it's amazing to think of because it's, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find an earlier, more fully formed world in, in, in literature and in someone's mind as as, as the Inferno and uh, the, and Purgatory and Paradise as well. Uh, but, but certainly Inferno is the, the best of the three because it's, it, it's, it's where you have all of these rich, gross details. It's where you have demons playing trumpets with their butts. Um, <laughs> you don't encounter much of that the, the higher up you get. So there's less. Because Dante's Inferno is rather humorous at times. There is some good scatology in yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, he, it's because there's so much treacherous detail that he had to put some sort of comedy elements in there just as a little break. Now, some people would take issue with gravity. Yes. Because... In Dante's Inferno, when uh, Dante and Virgil are descending, they're experiencing the same kind of gravity that they would on the surface of Earth. So if they're crossing a bridge or, you know, if they're dodging arrows or, mm-hmm. um, you know, some sort of missiles of hell, um, then that's all being acted on as if everything were normal. But things, of course, as we know, would not be normal if you plunged down into Earth. Well, now, I've read arguments, though, that... That uh, it's, of course gravity is a is is due to mass, and right. so you have a, the, the gravity on the Earth is is determined by the amount of mass involved. Uh, I've read arguments though that 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 if you descended deeper, it would be about the mass around you, and the, right. that that would uh, that would determine how much uh, of a gravitational pull was beneath your feet. It would slow you down because there's more gra- there's more mass above you and around you, hmm. so your descent would be slower. In fact, we have a really good article um, by Nicholas Gerbis called What Would Happen If I Drilled a Tunnel Through the Center of the Earth and Jumped Into It? Now, that's a little bit different. We're talking about a free-fall jump right. as opposed to just descending into But, but the idea is, is essentially the same. It is, but in uh, Gerbis's article, he does say that at the core, as you as you get to the core, the, the planet's center, your acceleration... Uh, due to gravity, is zero, and Earth's mass surrounds you, and then gravity cancels out, and you are weightless. And a curious thing happens uh, along these lines in Dante's Inferno. At it the does. very end, after they've worked their way to the very bottom, the Lake of Cositis, they see um, the massive Lucifer there with his three faces chewing on the three great traitors of, uh, of Western civilization. Uh, they go up. And uh, the way out is down, and they start climbing down uh, the furry shanks of Lucifer. Uh, <laughs> and remember, his crotch yeah. is the center of, uh, of of the planet in this model. So, what happens when they reach the very center? Well, there is uh, up is down, and down is up. Right, it just switches. as if you were in space, right? Yeah. And this is called the antipodes. Yeah, this is what uh, NASA has to say about it. This is from Angela Richard. Uh, about the center of the earth, not about Lucifer's hinder. Uh, She says, if you could be at the exact center, the forces uh, that each bit of earth matter exerted on you would cancel out, up canceling down, east canceling west, etc. This only occurs for a single point, though, and you would still feel a gravitational force on the rest of your body. So there would be this point where things would switch, and that's what happens to uh, Virgil and Dante. 
Yeah, and Cervantes says that Dante may have lifted this concept from first century writer Plutarch, who said, if a man should so coalesce with the earth that its center is at his navel, the same person at the same time has his head up and his feet up too. So, uh, yeah, this idea that uh, the portal kind of shifts. And this is actually taken from Dante's Inferno. It says, And when we had come to where the huge thigh bone rides in its socket at the haunches swell, my guide, with labor and great exertion, turned head to where his feet had been and fell to hoist him, him himself up in the air so that I thought us mounting back to hell. In other words, this is he's completely discombobbled and trying to figure out where he is, and he sees this different view of Satan's hairy leg. Like sticking straight up. Yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, some of this also comes from uh, Professor Andrew J. Uh, Samosin's uh, um, article, The Gravity of Hell, uh, The Gravity of Hades, rather. And uh, he gets into a little uh, Miltonian uh, physics as well. Um, Milton's uh, Paradise Lost, of course, we mentioned this uh, uh, briefly earlier in, in this podcast or in the other one about hell. Uh, in Milton's uh, Paradise Lost, Lucifer is a more relatable character, a sympathetic character. and he's the dark angel. He's the dark angel, and we get to learn about his fall. So Samosin looks at this and he realizes that naturally Lucifer's fall from heaven to hell is the perfect measuring stick to figure out what is the distance between heaven and hell. So uh, in this article, he looks at uh, at Lucifer's descent from uh, from heaven to hell and says, says well, this would be a, a great way of measuring the distance between heaven and hell if we could figure out, uh, if we could apply some equations to mm-hmm. this. And that's what he does in this paper. He applies a lot of mathematical computation uh, to what he can glean from the test, from the text. Uh, and basically it says, uh, uh, him, Satan, the almighty power, hurled headlong, flaming from the eternal sky with hideous ruin and combustion down to bottomless perdition. And, uh, and apparently it takes him about nine days to reach he- between heaven and hell. So he starts breaking that down. Uh, you know, how, how, how great a distance would that be? And then you also have to wonder, okay, if this occurred not long after the Big Bang, then maybe certain laws are not applying. <laughs> right. Is he bound by the speed of light? Is he bound by the, uh, uh, by, by the speed of a physical object, or is he surpassing it? So it could take, you know, 340 million years, he figures, if he was to uh, reach the center of the Milky Way. Uh, but it could take, a, you know, take a much shorter amount of time if he's going faster than light. So I, I, it's, it's some, some wonderful uh, thought experimentation that's going on in that article. Yeah, it's, again, it's a wonderful, uh, hell is a wonderful idea to play with to explore our universe. All right, well, there you go. Uh, hopefully we did not lose you too much in uh, the descriptions of hell and the descriptions of uh, weather uh, in the real world. Uh, but, uh, but, but again, look at some of these charts uh, that we're talking about. Look on the website, and uh, I think that should help it all make a little more sense. It's, it's, again, it's very much in keeping with some of these papers that are out there about, um, about how, the, um, how DNA works, uh, how genetics work in Harry Potter, how the uh, solar system works in Game of Thrones. Uh, but then it also hints at something greater, the, si- the idea that, that science is this, this way that we can, we can feel the unknown. We can reach out and touch things that we haven't yet explored yet and, and try to figure out what is a black hole, uh, you know, what is dark matter. But then we can also reach them into the imagined worlds and try and figure out the limits of those worlds as well. Yeah, I mean, what are the coordinates of Satan's crotch? Exactly. Science is still, uh, the science is still, uh, still out on that, by the way. 
So, uh, in the meantime, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can find us in the usual ways. Uh, again, that website is StuffToBlowYourMind.com. You can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter as Blow the Mind. We're on Facebook and Tumblr as Stuff to Blow Your Mind. On YouTube, we are Mind Stuff Show. And you can always drop us a line at BlowTheMindAtDiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 